0: So let's turn in our Bibles to the 28th chapter of Acts. If you have a map with you, you might want to use it to follow along because Acts chapters 27 and 28 are both geographical in nature and show us the travels of our brother Paul as he goes from Jerusalem to Rome. For those of you that weren't here this morning, we studied Acts chapter 27, which is an entire chapter of Paul sailing from Caesarea near Israel and he makes it finally to an island in the Mediterranean Sea. But what a traveling, what a trip getting there and what troubles he had. But we found that the Apostle Paul in the midst of 276 men had great faith in God. And after 14 days of not seeing the sun, not seeing the stars, and being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, That means it's dark. That means you're in hurricane force winds. You've taken the sails down and you're still blown 500 miles. After 14 days, the Apostle Paul was able to stand up and say, the angel of God has told me tonight that we're going to have a loss of the ship, but no lives. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God. Then it shall be even as it was told me. And so we concluded chapter 27 with Luke writing that the centurion told them in verse 43 that those who could swim should jump into the sea and swim for this island. And those that couldn't swim should stay on board and the rest, some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. Amen. All 276 sailors, soldiers, and prisoners made it to this island safe. And the Holy Ghost said not a hair of their head was lost because God was with them. And they tried one natural means to escape. They tried to get in that lifeboat and get over the side. And Paul said to the centurion, These sailors try to escape and make it to shore themselves. None of us are going to be saved. The centurion and soldiers pulled out their swords and cut the ropes. The lifeboat fell away. And so 276 men on a ship where it says in verse 20 that all hope was taken away. Luke said that all hope was taken away. It had been so bad for so many days. All hope was gone, but they were all saved with no loss because God providentially took care of Paul because he wanted Paul to preach the gospel in Rome. And it actually tells us, that the angel said to Paul, I've also given all those that happen to be sailing with you. So sometimes it's good to have Christians around because the Lord's merciful where the saints are. Did you know that the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that a believing husband or a believing wife sanctifies the marriage of the unbelievers that they're participating in by the influence of God in that marriage. So we come to Acts chapter 28. They didn't know where they were. They just knew that they were near an island. And as they tried to make it into that little cove that we read about in Acts 27, the fore part of the ship stuck and the waves dashed the back part of the ship to pieces and so the ship was broken up and they all came to shore and so we come to this first verse. And when they were escaped, then they knew that the island was called Melita, which is our modern Malta. A little tiny speck on the globe up here That you can check out afterwards near Sicily, 500 miles from Crete, where they had left against Paul's advice. Paul had warned them in Acts 27 don't leave this port, because I perceive that we're going to have a great deal of damage to the lading, that's the cargo and the ship, and to our own lives. But they left anyway, and they quickly ran into a tempestuous wind called Eurocladon, a hurricane in the Mediterranean that tossed them about for 14 days. And so now they're on this little island, and they know that it's Malta. And the barbarous people showed us no little kindness. They were very kind. Now, when the Bible says barbarian in the New Testament, it doesn't mean we've got these hunchback people with loin claws beating drums and dancing around a fire. We mean people that didn't speak Greek or Latin. And you can find that out by reading the rest of your New Testament. For instance, Romans chapter 1, Paul says, I am debtor both to the Greek and to the barbarian. Someone not speaking Greek. Why? Because the Greek society was the educated society, and the Greek language was the illustrious language. Latin was inferior to it, and all other languages were inferior to it in the mindset at the time of the New Testament was written. So they were barbarians in that sense, they were Europeans. In the sense of their descent, they were not barbarians as I just described. They just didn't speak Greek. And the barbarous people showed us no little kindness, for they kindled a fire and received us every one because of the present rain and because of the cold. Remember, we're well into October, and it's been raining, and there's high winds, and they all just either swam or paddled their way to shore on a piece of wood. They're all cold, and these barbarians show them the kindness of a fire to warm them. Now I hope all of you children are following along in Acts chapter 28. We've been studying the life of Paul. Paul was the greatest of the apostles. He served the Lord Jesus Christ and would preach anywhere. And he's been in a shipwreck and now he's on an island. But God loves Paul and God has chosen Paul to be a great preacher. And so I want you to watch what happens. Paul and 275 other men are shivering and cold around a fire. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. A viper is a poisonous snake. Paul picks up a bunch of sticks, he's gathered them to put them on the fire, and when he puts it over the fire, the heat drives that, that poisonous snake to leap out of those sticks and to latch onto Paul's hand. So he's got a small snake, but it's a poisonous snake, hanging on his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom, though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. Sounds like Job's three friends, doesn't it? (laughs) Seriously, it's a problem that we all make when we see trouble in someone's lives. We all want to assume their sin. And that isn't the case. These barbarians see that poisonous snake on Paul's hand, and they believe that he must be a murderer. They knew there were prisoners on that ship, so they think Paul must be a murderer, and because fate didn't kill him in the shipwreck, fate is now going to kill him with a poisonous snake. They are fatalists, fatalists. Every act is supposedly some indication of God and justice, and that isn't true. The book of Ecclesiastes tells us that we are not to measure the, the love of God toward us by our circumstances. We're to measure it by His word and His promises. Because some, if Job were to measure the love of God by his circumstances, what should he presume about Acts 1 I mean, about Job one ten? that God hated him. That's not the case. What what should Paul have done with all that's happening to him on this trip? That's not how we judge. But these fatalists thought that this obviously must be because Paul was a murderer. Now, verse 5, And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Now, I want you to know that all these barbarians that lived in the island of Malta knew that poisonous snake. They had seen those vipers before And they knew what happened when a viper got a hold of somebody. You know, when a viper gets a hold of you, poison comes out of its teeth into your skin, into your body. And that poison kills you. And so here's Paul with that snake, and he shakes it off in the fire, and nothing happens to him. Howbeit, they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly. These are snake experts. They live in an island with a lot of snakes. I'm serious. This is important for what we're going to get to in just a second. These are snake experts. If you want to show us your charismatic ability with gifts, get before a bunch of snake experts with a real snake. But after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Nebuchadnezzar did leave relatives in the earth. Remember old Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel chapter 3. If you don't bow down to my 90-foot golden image, I'm going to throw you into the fiery furnace. Three men won't bow down, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When Nebuchadnezzar looks in that furnace and sees a fourth man walking around with them like the angel of God, he calls them forth and he, he makes a new decree. Anybody says anything evil about the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'll chop into pieces and turn his house into a dunghill. That's extreme. And see, that's being tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine because you're not stabilized in the Word of God. And so these poor people looking at fate, they see the snake attach itself to Paul. He must be a murderer. They see nothing happen. He must be a God. Now that's extreme. That's extreme. And brethren, if it wasn't for the grace of God, we would be as extreme. Amen. We have the rock of God's word as the foundation for our thinking and our decision-making. If the foundations be destroyed, what shall the righteous do? We would all make presumptions like that. Look at the three friends of Job. I want to remind you again. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Criticizing Job that he must have a great number of secret sins in his life when he didn't. It was just God's providential dealings with him. Paul is around this fire. The snake got a hold of him. All the barbarians there, that the people of that island, thought that he should have fallen down dead, but he didn't. Because God didn't let that snake hurt him. And after they'd looked at him for a long time and realized nothing's going to happen to him, they thought he was a god. Now, holding your fingers at Acts chapter 28, let's go to Mark 16. Mark 16. There's a lesson for us in, in this. Mark 16. Now, if you didn't bring your King James Bible tonight, you're not going to find the verses I want to point you to. Because in the new translations, every verse after verse 8 is considered to be fraudulent. Verses 9 through 20 either don't exist in those new translations, or they're all in brackets, or all in italics, and it'll tell you that they're not in the best manuscripts, and so we can't rely on them. The great commission that they all want to practice isn't taught in Mark 16, because they've lost the verses 9 through 20. Jesus said to his 11 apostles, Go ye into all the world, this is verse 15, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues... Now look very closely. Mark sixteen eighteen. They shall take up serpents. And if they drank any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. And look again. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, and confirming the word with signs following, Amen. Amen. Jesus told his apostles, I'm, I've given you power to take up serpents. That means a snake could bite an apostle and it wasn't going to hurt him, so that other people would know that the apostles were God's men. Those apostles were going to be able to cast out devils, speak in different languages, take up poisonous snakes, drink poison, and they were going to be able to heal the sick. And that was all to prove that they were the ministers of Jesus Christ. And that happened for 40 years. And Paul is the example we have in the New Testament of an apostle taking up a serpent, and it occurred right here in Acts chapter 28. Amen. Now, Paul didn't carry around a burlap bag with 10 rattlesnakes in it. There, are, there is a small branch, and it's very small, and it's smaller than it used to be, of Pentecostals who for a worship service, after playing a certain kind of music for an hour or two, would bring out their burlap bags with all their rattlesnakes. And they'd take all these rattlesnakes in a great big mass of squirming rattlesnake and hold it there swaying to their music and think that they were worshiping God because of Mark 16 verses 14 through 20. And if you were to question what they were doing, they'd say, the Bible says it, we do it. Well, the Bible said it to 11 apostles, and they did it, amen. Amen. Let's not get confused there. That's one little segment. Now, the rest of the Charismatics and Pentecostals, they're afraid of Mark 16. They'll go into Mark 16 and pull out whatever sign gift that they can pretend they have, that has no danger. They don't like to drink strict... Oh, by the way, those snake handlers, after they were done with the snakes, they'd put them back in the burlap bag. If somebody died, the explanation was they didn't have enough faith. They've been, this, has been, this has been examined on 20, 20, and 60 Minutes. They've gone out in the cemetery behind the church and said, what about this man? Well, he just didn't have enough faith. After they were done with the rattlesnakes, they'd have a bottle of strychnine there, and they'd drink strychnine. Sometimes that would kill them. Must not have had enough faith. The apostles never fell down dead from one of their miracles. Never. Never. The rest of the charismatics speak in tongues. But see, tongues today are no longer the tongues of the Bible. In the Bible, these apostles didn't have to go to language school. They could speak any language perfectly instantly without any training so well that the people who knew that language thought they, how can they be doing that? It was so perfect. But today when people speak in tongues, it's just a bunch of noise. Amen. Because if it was a language, then we would bring language experts in and prove what they were saying. And once in a while, they might be able to do it. The devil can speak in foreign languages, but God does not give them the gift like he did the apostles because that gift has gone away. It's a lot trickier, isn't it, to handle a rattlesnake and strychnine. I want to tell you something. You at least got to give credit to that little segment of the Pentecostals who played with snakes and strychnine because at least they were being consistent with the word of God instead of just pretending healings and pretending speaking in tongues. This was done before snake experts. And nothing happened to them, and they thought he was a god. Verse 7, in the same quarters were possessions of the chief man of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and lodged us three days courteously. Here's the Lord taking care of Paul. The, the chief of the island, probably the governor, had some property there, and he takes Paul and Luke and Aristarchus in, if not more, and received us and lodged us courteously three days. And verse 8, And it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux. That's a severe case of dysentery. There's no question about the meaning of the words. You can just look, you can look it up and study it yourself. I think it's enough for you though. Publius lay sick of a fever and of a severe case of dysentery to whom Paul entered in and prayed and notice, laid his hands on him and healed him. Just what we read in Mark 16 that Jesus told his apostles they were going to be able to do. Paul was able to go in, lay his hands on this man and pray. Admitting that the power was coming from God, not that he was some mysterious, mystical, spiritual healer. It was all coming from God. Just as it was prophesied in Mark 16. Now remember, we have Paul on an island with total strangers, barbarians. They may have never heard the gospel because it's a very small island. They may have never heard a thing. And so the Lord is instantly bringing Paul's reputation up very high. I mean the fire to dry him from swimming to shore had the snake in it. And then he's in the the governor's house or the chief man's house and there's a man sick that he's able to heal. So the Lord has automatically, very quickly magnified the apostle Paul so that everybody on the island knows that this man has the power of God with him. Verse 9, So when this was done, Others also, which had diseases in the island, came and were healed. Everyone heard about this power of Paul by the power of God to heal, and so they came and they were healed of their diseases also. Who also honored us with many honors. And when we departed, they laden us with such things as were necessary. God took care of the Apostle Paul with many honors, and Luke and Aristarchus, And with all the things that they needed before they departed from this particular place where Publius took care of them. They're they're going to spend three months in the island of Malta waiting for the winter to end so that they can take a ship and go on toward Italy. But I want you to see how God took care of Paul with this miracle power that he had promised in Mark chapter 16. But, brethren, it doesn't tell us that any of them believed, they were thankful for their healing. And they gave many honors, and they gave many things, but it doesn't say they believed. Isn't that sad? Mm -hmm. We sang, I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. I hope that any time that you hear him preached, or you read him, or or, or you have a thought brought to your conscience by the Spirit of God about the Lord Jesus Christ, that you will go to him and that you will commune with him and talk with him and not let an opportunity like this get away. Wouldn't you say with me that if you'd have been there in the village of Publius, you'd have wanted to follow Paul wherever he was going, to stay with him to hear more about Jesus Christ and this divine power that was with him? We don't read a thing, except that they were taken care of naturally. And if that's all the Lord got out of the island of Malta for Paul, the Lord be praised. Amen. But, brethren, I hope you're thankful for divine grace Amen. that caused us to love Him. Yeah. And after three months, verse 11 of Acts 28 we departed in a ship of Alexandria, which had wintered in the isle, whose sign was Castor and Pollux. Now, Luke's telling Theophilus quite a few little details in Acts 27 and 28. Alexandria was a great city, and it still is a decent city there on the coast of North Africa a very large city engaged in commercial grain trade of grain there that was produced in the north side of Africa and shipped to various cities around the Mediterranean Sea. And so a second ship from Alexandria, Paul's about to enter. This is his third ship since leaving Caesarea. And the sign was Castor and Pollux. Castor and Pollux were pagan Greek twin sons of the god Jupiter who protected sailors. And Luke just wants to point out that this ship that Paul's now going to be on was protected by two pagan concepts of twin sons of Jupiter who were demigods for sailors, as if Paul needed any help on a ship after the last event on ship number two, how the Lord preserved him so thoroughly even in a shipwreck. Now they come up to the side, the, the uh, east coast of Sicily, and they land at Syracuse, we tarried there three days. And from thence we fetched fetched a compass. Now, when was the last time you said to your wife, let's go fetch a compass and go to town? That's an expression we don't use much anymore. I don't think you've said it in the last week or two. And from thence we fetched a compass, which means, as in sailors' terminology, the circuitous route of getting someplace because you have to keep tacking in order to get there if the wind isn't exactly in your favor. We fetched a compass, which, what does compass mean? Compass is a circle. Compass means a curve. We had to go in a roundabout way to head toward Regium, which if you have your maps, you can see that city. there, way down at the bottom part of Italy. And from thence we fetched a compass and came to Regium. And after one day the south wind blew... And we came the next day to Patoli, where we found brethren and were desired to tarry with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome. Paul's making continual progress toward Rome. He's been at the little island of Malta. Then he's on the the coast of Sicily. Then he comes up to the bottom of the boot of Italy. And now he moves way up the coast of Italy to a town called Patoli, where he found brethren. There were already saints there that worshiped Christ, that were brothers in the faith, and they wanted him to stay for a week, and he did. Julius is being merciful, isn't he? He's been merciful from the beginning. Julius is the name of the centurion that was the captain of the Roman soldiers that was responsible for getting Paul all the way to Rome. And from thence, when the brethren heard of us, they came, the brethren, they came, what brethren? The brethren from Rome. Listen to this, my brethren tonight. And from thence, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as Api Forum and the three taverns. And hopefully you can see that on your map. Whom, when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. Do you know how far it is from Rome to Api Forum? 56 miles. They came 56 miles to meet the apostle Paul. Isn't that encouraging? Now remember, we have an epistle in our Bibles called the Epistle to the Romans. Right. This was written long before Paul ever got to go to Rome. Remember in the first chapter he says, If by the will of God I can come and see you, I want to see you, I want to impart to you some spiritual gift, I want to be encouraged by the mutual faith, both of you and me, your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world, but I want to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Remember all those words? Amen. He wanted to see the people of this church, but he'd never been there before. He's getting his trip paid for by the Roman government. And they love Paul. And so hearing that he's coming, you know, it's taken quite a while. They've probably been waiting quite a while. And so they have someone at Appy Forum telling them when a ship's going to arrive that the Apostle Paul will be on. They go 56 miles to meet him. And how important is that to us? Brethren, encourage the hearts of brethren. Even the Apostle Paul who could handle a storm at sea of 14 days without the lights of the day or the lights of the night and was still bold enough to say, I believe God, that man's heart was encouraged by brethren. And what I said tonight when I got up and we opened the service and I said that extra brethren coming in tonight that weren't here this morning, it was an encouragement to my heart. Can all of you relate to that? Paul's going into the lion's den. Rome is not friendly to Christians not when Caesar's in a bad mood. He takes him to the Colosseum for sport and lets his gladiators kill them or the lions kill them. Or he sticks them on posts and covers them with pitch and uses them as torches in his garden. Paul was a man. And Paul said at times he was cast down, but he wasn't destroyed. He was perplexed, but not in distress. But he's encouraged by brethren coming. And this is exciting to read that verse. About these brethren coming to meet him. Verse, the last part of verse 15 tells us whom when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. And when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. This would have been up the chain of command from Julius, who is only a centurion, to the captain of the guard of of Caesar in the city of Rome. All the prisoners are delivered to the captain of the guard. And there's lots that could be said that would be of a carnal nature to entertain you about a captain of the Roman guard, but they were a pretty important man, and they were pretty tough individuals. But Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. All the others are immediately processed to be dealt with by Caesar. Immediately processed, put into the control of the captain of the guard, but Paul is permitted that he suffered. He's permitted to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. He's able to leave and go rent an apartment. He goes and rents a house. And he has a soldier that goes with him wherever he goes because there's a chain on Paul's hand, as we're about to read, and there's a chain on that soldier. Wherever Paul goes, the soldier goes. So he doesn't get very lonely that way. But he's in his own rental home. What a difference from the other prisoners as they get to Rome. The Lord's taking care of Paul. I want to tell you something about Paul. When we say that he was the greatest of the apostles, we're basing that on 1 Corinthians 15, 10, where he said he labored more abundantly than they all. We're basing that on the fact that he wrote all of the New Testament to Gentiles. And we're basing that on things like you're about to read. Verse 17, And it came to pass that after three months, Paul thought he could get back into the ministry. It came to pass that after three days, Paul called the chief of the Jews together, and when they were come together, he said unto them, Isn't Paul in Rome because the Jews tried to kill him in Judea? But he gets to Rome, and he only waits three days before he calls the Jewish leadership of that city together to tell them about Jesus Christ. Is the man bold? Is he faithful? Is he diligent? Did he, did he deserve a sabbatical? Did he deserve a leave of absence? After being shipwrecked, didn't he deserve some time off? Three days, he has the Jews coming to meet him. And he says to them, men and brethren, though I have committed nothing against the people, that's the people of Israel, or customs of our fathers, "'Yet was I delivered prisoner from Jerusalem "'into the hands of the Romans, "'who, when they had examined me, "'would have let me go, "'because there was no cause of death in me. "'But when the Jews spake against it, "'I was constrained to appeal unto Caesar, "'not that I had aught to accuse my nation of. "'For this cause, therefore, have I called for you, "'to see you and to speak with you, "'because that for the hope of Israel... I am bound with this chain. He's got that one chain on. Notice the Apostle Paul. He's telling them what happened to him. I am here because the Jews have sent me here. The Romans would have let me go. I did, do, I did nothing against the customs of our fathers. I didn't do anything against our people. I am bound by this chain for the hope of Israel. And the hope of Israel is the Messiah of God, the promised deliverer that the entire New Testament talks about, including the resurrection from the dead, which is a fact that pagan religions do not have, that we shall be raised from the dead. It's the hope of Israel. We've seen that hope in Acts chapter 13 and in chapters leading up to this statement. The hope of Israel. He tells these Jewish leaders, that's why I'm here. I didn't do anything against our nation. It appears from Paul's explanation that he would have assumed that these Jews in Rome knew everything about what had happened in Judea verse twenty one and they said unto him, We need to see as I even speak, neither any of brethren that came showed or spake any harm of thee. Nothing was communicated, and listen, there was lots of communication between Jerusalem and Rome. They were two big cities, two important cities, but nothing was communicated from Jerusalem to Rome, and it could have been shame We're not told why, but the Jews of Jerusalem were shut down four times. Claudius Lysias wouldn't let them do anything to Paul, then Felix, then Festus, then Agrippa. And they gave up. And instead of admitting their shame and sending ambassadors on to Rome to try to get him, you know, why weren't there any lying in wait to kill him on the way to Rome? They gave up. The Lord dealt with the Jews and put them aside. Paul's in Rome for other things. And for these Jews to have a fair hearing without any prejudice against the apostle Paul, they haven't heard a word about him. But because he had spoken to them and described a little bit about him, they say in verse 22, we desire to hear of thee what thou thinkest. As concerning the sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. The sect that we're a part of, Christianity, Amen. the sect is everywhere spoken against. It's despised by everyone, and we would like to hear what you think about this sect called Christianity. I want to comfort you a little bit. Let's look at that word sect for just a second. A sect is a religious following. The following or the adherence to a particular religious teacher or faith. In the Bible, Paul was called the ringleader of the sect of the... Nazarenes, because they followed Jesus of Nazareth. The Pharisees were called the straightest sect of the Jews' religion because they were the most conservative segment of the Jewish faith. The Sadducees were called a sect. All this is on the book of Acts. Sect is a segment or a denomination or a group of people following a particular faith. And so what they're doing is saying This particular way of worshiping God or this particular religion or this particular denomination called Christianity, this sect, we want to hear your opinion about it, because everywhere it's despised and spoken against. So we'd like to hear your educated opinion, because remember, Paul had been brought up in the Jews' religion very thoroughly. Now, we have a word today. We don't use the word sect anymore. What word do we use? We use denomination, we use the word cult. Cult. Sect sect is a vague word. It doesn't tell you anything, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. It's just a group of people following a particular religious order. Today we've got the word cult, which is a vague word just like sect. It doesn't say a thing. It has no definition except to mean worship or the same meaning as sect. A group of people worshiping in a certain way. And that's important to remember. Cult, whenever you hear someone say, well, they're just a cult, well, they haven't said anything yet. Because that's like saying they're just a denomination. They're just a sect. The word cult has no meaning of its own. You have to give it meaning. When men write books about cults, they have to define what they mean by cult because the word itself doesn't communicate any meaning. It just means to worship God religiously in a certain way. So let's be, be careful whenever we use that word or hear that word because it doesn't prove anything at all. Now, it shouldn't surprise us, and I hope it doesn't you, that when we look into verse 22 of Acts 28 and we find that Christianity was everywhere spoken against, that's going to be the case of the truth in the world. The world is going to hate the truth. They're going to call it a sect. They're going to call it a cult. And it's going to be despised because it's not agreeable to their perspective or worldview of life. So it shouldn't surprise us. But they want to hear Paul's learned Jewish opinion about Christianity. Verse 23, and when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God. They gave him a day, and they came into his rental house, and he took the day And he testified and expounded concerning the kingdom of God. And brethren, he wasn't talking about some millennial kingdom of some future age, because you know what he told them about? About Jesus. Persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets, from morning till evening. They heard it all from Genesis 3 to Malachi chapter 4. They heard about the virgin birth, the Lord Jesus Christ, that it was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 7 and the evidence for it in the New Testament. They heard about the life of Jesus Christ. They heard about his miracles. They heard about his power. They heard about his death. They heard about his resurrection. They heard about his apostles. They heard about the signs and wonders that followed. They heard about his name. They heard about the earthquakes. They heard about everything that occurred in the life of Jesus of Nazareth that had been prophesied in the Old Testament. Paul just kept mounting the evidence. He expounded and testified the kingdom of God, that the Messiah had come, that there was a new kingdom in the world, the kingdom of Christ, and he taught them about Jesus out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets all day long. What a blessed privilege to have sat in that house, And to have heard Paul open all that up by the Holy Spirit of God. You are a Jew, you know the Old Testament thoroughly, and you have Paul expounding it for all day. And look what it says. Verse 24. And some believe the things which were spoken, and some believe not. The gospel has always done that. Some believe, and some don't believe. When Jesus preached, it would say so many times in the book of John, and there was a division among the people because of him. Jesus would speak and some man would say, this must be the prophet that was to come. Then others would say, it can't be. Because he healed on the Sabbath day. Missing missing the Lord Jesus Christ by something as ridiculous as healing on the Sabbath day. Some believed the things that were spoken and some believed not. Brethren, do you understand... How blessed we are that we believe the gospel. Why you would be here tonight. Why hopefully you're here tonight with a glad heart. Holding your finger there at Acts 28, look at 2 Thessalonians. I just want to read you a couple of verses. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We are blessed. It is the grace of God that we believe. It's not because we're smarter or more logical or more rational or more careful it's by the grace of God that we believe. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. I know that's a long sentence and it's a mouthful, but don't get lost in it. It's it's something for which we're bound to give thanks always to God because from the beginning he chose us to through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth to be saved from the lies that are in the context. These two verses follow the lies of the man of sin that other people believe because it says God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And that's the Catholic system of religion in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. That's the man of sin sitting in the temple of God professing himself to be God and changing all the ordinances of God and expecting to be worshipped like God. What delivered men from that system? Because they were wise, the Lord did. We are bound to give thanks always to God for that blessing. Verse 14, whereunto he called you by our gospel. The preaching of Paul saved the Thessalonians. But see, Paul is in Rome preaching the same gospel. Acts chapter 28, he spends all day preaching to these Jews who had the foundation of knowing the scriptures, but when he preached to them, some did not believe. And if it were not for the grace of God, none would have believed. Verse 25, and when they agreed not among themselves, they departed. After that, Paul had spoken one word. When he saw the division among them, he lays the truth on the line about their rejecting the message of Jesus Christ. And he quotes from Isaiah chapter 6, where God warned in prophecy that this was going to be true of Israel, of his judgment upon them. He spoke one word, and it's one word in the sense of one thought. And he quotes from Isaiah 6. Well spake, Paul says this was well spoken by Isaiah. Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers, saying, this is what God told Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, Go unto this people and say, Hearing ye shall hear. Those Jews had just heard Paul preach the gospel to them. They heard it. Hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand. And seeing, ye shall see, and not perceive. For the heart of this people is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. God left these Israelites in gospel darkness, so they could not hear, see, perceive, or understand, so that he would not convert them, and they would miss the gospel privileges that we have. We are most blessed, Amen. and we should be greatly thankful for it. And he says in verse 28, this, these are Paul's words, concluding that quote from Isaiah, Be it known therefore unto you, you Jewish leaders, that the salvation of God, that is the gospel salvation of the preaching of the truth, is sent unto the Gentiles, and that they will hear it. Amen. What, a, what a horrible sentence to have declared. And the, the value of this verse to us is that whenever we hear anything preached, let us never close up our ears or close up our eyes, but to the degree that we have conviction, respond to it, obey it, heed it, humble yourself before it. And if you hear a sermon and you don't get anything out of it, go back and ask yourself, what's wrong with you? don't lose an opportunity to hear the gospel and believe it and obey it. Because when somebody's ears and eyes are gross and dull of hearing and they don't really want to hear, God will drop the shade on them and they will not understand. So Paul basically condemns them in verse 28 because he just spent a whole day expounding and testifying that Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament and they didn't believe it. And he says, be it known therefore unto you, if you don't want it, that the salvation of God, that is not election, justification, and regeneration. This is the preaching of the gospel. This is the blessings of gospel salvation, of knowing Christ, of knowing an assurance of your salvation, of seeing the fulfillment of the Old Testament in Jesus, of having a church, of knowing the kingdom of God and the hope of the resurrection. All of that, is being sent from the Jews to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had great reasoning among themselves. There were some that believed and there were some that didn't. And they reasoned among themselves about Paul's harsh words at the end, condemning them that it was going to the Gentiles because that just tore Jews up to think that a spiritual blessing would be taken away from them and given to Gentiles. But I hope it tears you up with joy. That it was taken away and was sent to us. Because I want to tell you that based on what we know, little scraps of history, and they're not much, and it's not where we base our faith. But the Apostle Paul in the city of Rome, where all the, where all the travel of Europe took place in that city, he converts men and women that go back to the British Isles while he's still alive and the gospel is preached in the British Isles by first-generation by first converts of the Apostle Paul. Their names are known, and the cities in which they preached in the 60 A.D.s in the British Isles are known. You want to do something profitable on the Internet? Just go home and look up Pudens and Claudia. It went to the Gentiles, and we've benefited from it. And Luke concludes this book by saying, in verse 30, Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house. He lives in a rental house, not in the jail, and received all that came unto him. He was preaching frequently. And the verse 31 tells us what he was preaching. He was preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. He had a two-year window of time sitting in the city of Rome in a rental house. Anyone could come to him, and he would preach the gospel of the kingdom of God and the things concerning Jesus Christ, he was full of confidence, though he was going to have to go meet Nero, and tradition tells us, the Bible doesn't, that his head was cut off by that Caesar. But he went and preached in the city of Rome. And brethren, Paul was so faithful that we, go, we come to the fourth chapter of Philippians, and as he's concluding that book, he says, those of the household of Caesar salute you. Paul was at work converting some of Caesar's own household. This was a great man, made great by the power of the Holy Ghost. If he were here, do you know what he'd tell you? I was the chiefest of sinners. I was less than the least of all saints. But the grace of God that was bestowed upon me was not bestowed in vain. I labored more abundantly than they all. God's grace has been bestowed upon us. Luke wrote these 28 chapters to a noble man named Theophilus, to, show, to tell him, he wrote the Gospel of Luke, then he wrote the book of Acts, to tell him all the things that had been done concerning the person of Jesus Christ and the apostles of Christ. Do you believe this? Amen. Do you believe this? Amen. This is the history on which we base our lives, that God sent Jesus Christ into the world to save sinners, and that Jesus Christ chose apostles to go preach that glorious message. And the simple little service that we're going to have next Sunday... Where we partake of bread and wine to remember the broken body and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the history book of the beginnings of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you're glad to be part of it. Amen. We are bound to give thanks always to God. Amen. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.